for Jesus Christ. He is the king. How about we do this? How about you guys stand up? If you need anyone in here, no matter what you need a miracle for, just stand up, put your hands to heaven. Come here, Pastor Susan. I'm going to have you pray over them. Go ahead. Pray a miracle? We're praying over everybody? Yeah, whatever you feel like. Everybody up needs something? Or just a blessing? Okay, we'll do everything. Father, in Jesus' name, you've said in 3 John 2 that you wish above all things we'd prosper and be in health as our soul prospers. So tonight, we pray that verse. Lord, if anybody needs healing, they need to prosper, they need their soul healed, and whatever it is, Lord, you are the God of everything. You you are Almighty God. So we just we pray you down. We pray your manifest presence. Don't send us out like we came in. In Jesus' name. And everybody agreed and said, Amen. Amen. Let's get up for Pastor Susan. Yeah. She doesn't like when I bring attention to her. So let's give it up for her once again. So, you know, there's an interesting question that was posed about Jesus Christ. So I want you to listen to these verses. And anytime when you hear verses or you're reading things in the Bible, insert your own name. John 1, 45 through 46. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see for yourself. So Nazareth was a city that was about 55 miles north of Jerusalem. The Jews looked at people in Nazareth, and they looked down at them. So it could be, maybe you could frame it this way. Like me and Suzanne and our girls were going to Vegas in a couple weeks. I used to work in Vegas because I was a medical salesman for 19 years. But my mother-in-law, every time I go, she probably would say this, can anything good come out of Las Vegas? Can anything good come out of Compton? Can anything good come out of Hemet or San Jacinto? Can anything good come out of your own family? How many of you have been labeled by your family? How many of you, after you got saved, had people still talk about you like you were before you were saved? I remember for about a year after I got saved, I remember my dad going, there's no way. There's no way you're different now. Because I had done drugs. I was having an affair with a married woman when I got saved. And just a mess. And then for like a year after, my dad just was waiting. He was waiting for me to fall. You ever do something wrong as a Christian? You have people around you and go, I thought you said you were a Christian. So they're watching us. Some people are watching you and waiting for you to fall. In a way, Nathaniel... To make a statement, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I don't know if you know this. When Jesus was baptized, it says that the Holy Spirit drove him out into the desert to be tested. Now think about it. Jesus had spent 30 years walking with the Lord pretty much privately. We know when, tw- the, when he was 12 years old, it talked about him teaching in the temple, but it was pretty private. Finally, he does this public baptism, and what's the Holy Spirit do? Garrett, the Holy Spirit sends him out to the desert to be tested by the devil. Isn't that strange that he would send you out? You ever notice how God sometimes sends you out to places? So he sends him out there to be tested, to be tested by the devil. Sometimes when you 
Oh, we got some new people here. I like this. Come on in. Sometimes when you're being tested, don't let people label you of who you used to be. Right, John? You ain't who you used to be. What year did you get saved? 74. So what was your life before you got saved? You were messy. How many know you can take a mess and turn it into, what is it, Pastor Bob? A message. Go ahead. Dave, it was when my brother got back in Vietnam, and uh, we were sitting there, me and Debbie, and uh, he says, I don't know who you are. You're not the same brother that I, uh, we, we got together and were with. I was the youngest of five boys, and you were always uh, bad-mouthing, beating up people, hurting people, and uh, disregarding respect for women. And uh, I said, well, that's, that's all changed. I said, but I, yeah, I said, but I'm proud of you because you left the Vietnam, you come home, you take care of your family, your kids, you were the real man to me. But the, the most important thing I want you to, want you to know, my brother says, I want what you got. How many people know that they are watching our life? So here's what happened. Jesus comes out of the desert. One of the first places he goes to do miracles is Nazareth. But he couldn't do miracles in Nazareth, or very few. And you know why? Because they didn't have the faith to receive it. So a lot of times we get trapped in Nazareth or our past, and we forget that God has made us a new creation. Like you were talking about, John, with your brother seeing you and going, I want what you have. How many people know in here you're mobile ministers. You have the same Holy Spirit. Angel, you have the same Holy Spirit that Pastor Bob and Pastor Susan have. How many of you know there's not a junior Holy Spirit? But a lot of Christians live like there is. Here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Is Jesus a carpenter or a king? Is he common or the Christ? Christ means the anointed one. Too often, we treat Jesus like he's a carpenter or common, even in our own lives. Last week, we had four people that gave testimonies, and they testified about what Jesus Christ had done in their lives. Don't allow yourself to be treated as common, not when you serve the king. You know you're not the same person, Matt, as before you served the king. Amen? How about you, Brian? You know you're a child of the king, right? All right. So let's look at this. And all of you can relate to this because you all have brothers, sisters, moms, dads. Mark 3.21. This is what Jesus' own family thought about him. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. They said this about Jesus Christ. He's out of his mind. Isn't that crazy? How about John 7, 5? For even his brothers didn't believe in him. So think about Jesus being raised around his family, really only his mom, maybe his dad a little bit, but really only his mom knew that he was the Messiah. We know the angel come to her when he was going to be born and all that kind of stuff. But think about what Jesus had to deal with, knowing that he was fully human, 
and fully God when he was here on earth and could at any moment tap into any power he wanted to. But to restrict himself and say, I still have to be baptized. I still have to walk things out. How many of you know in your journey with Jesus Christ, it's not always going to be easy? How many of you, you come to Pastor Bob's sermon on Sunday, and you walk out, Sheila, and you're feeling good. Talked about the inaudible voice of God, and you're like, man, I heard God today. How many of you, when you come to uh, services here on a Sunday, you walk out feeling like you're on fire? And then you go out, and you get cut off in traffic. You're like, God, where are you? How did I get stuck in traffic? You're not moving on my behalf. But, you know, the thing that's great about God is his mercies are new every day. He doesn't want us to stay trapped in Nazareth. Amen? Amen. All right. Acts 1.14. Now, this is after the resurrection. Now, we were just talking about how Jesus' own family had rejected him before the resurrection. Acts 1.14, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Now, you're pretty new to the church right back here, right? Both of you, are you a mom and daughter? Okay. I'm just going to ask you a question real quick. So, when did you get saved? When did you accept Christ? 1998. Thirty-one. Wow, you look so young. So, thirteen, and then in nineteen ninety-eight, would you say that you're a different person now? So, would you say almost like Jesus, how his brothers and his mom and all that and sisters all didn't see him as savior before, but after the resurrection? So, do you feel like after you realize Jesus has been resurrected, that he can resurrect things in your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. Let's give it up for that. And what's your name, by the way? What is it? Teresa. Destiny. Teresa and Destiny. I'll give you some advice. Before you leave here tonight, get those two to pray for you. My mother and father-in-law. Now, anybody could pray for you, but they like praying for people. Like, and I think they have something for you guys that could really deposit into your life. But see, here's the thing. We have to see Jesus as resurrected. He's not dead anymore. A lot of times we want to celebrate, you know, you go into some churches, man, and they got Jesus on that cross. He ain't on that cross no more. Right, Cheryl? He's off that cross. Let me show you how much it can change when you have an exalted belief in Jesus Christ. And he's no longer common, but he's the Messiah. In A.D. 62, James, his brother, was thrown off of a high place, so high that when he fell down, he was probably injured, but he was still alive, and then they stoned him to death. Now, please tell me, how could someone that had no belief in Jesus Christ before the resurrection, his own brother, have faith in him after the resurrection to the point that he would give his life? Because really, most of us in here, we'll probably never give our lives physically for the Lord. But Jesus says, deny yourself. Pick up the cross and follow me. The more we follow Christ, the more we should look like Christ. We're never going to be the Savior. We're not many gods. But the more you should reflect Christ. 
So do you see Jesus as Lord over all? Or are you still trapped in Nazareth and see him as common? Because if you see him as common, you're going to see yourself as common. Sheila, you kind of have a smile on your face a little bit. Sheila. Sheila helped in our nursery this, was it last week or the week before? Let's give it up for Sheila. Her and Garrett, fairly new to our church. Now, would you say that, do you ever see yourself as common? feel like I stand out different because, you know, I carry Jesus on every side. So I want, you know, when people see me, I want them to see the love of him in me. I want them to see Jesus in me. Man, that's good. How many of you want Jesus Christ to be reflected in your life through the person of the Holy Spirit? See, that's what I love about the body of Christ. We all have our own testimony. And when I hear someone like Sheila, I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Because Sheila's out probably touching people I would never even run into. So is Matt. You know, every one of you in here are going to run into people or touch people that I would never meet. And God is sending you as a messenger to change their life. You know, when you introduce someone to Christ, it's living water. It's like just that. You ever, you know, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You ever notice when you get a, what they call a rhema word of God? It's like all of a sudden you go, oh, that's what that means? I've never seen that before. It's that living water. It's you're tasting something. You're tasting something that's going to flow out of you. Sheila, you just talked about you want people to see Jesus in you. When it flows out of you, they have no choice. I know Susan has encounters in stores all the time. When you have the Holy Spirit that flows out of you, they'll have no choice. They'll be drawn to you. This young lady. Right here. I've never met these two, but you kind of look familiar to me. Have you been here before? All right. What's your name? Justin. Justin, that's me. D-Mac. Hi, I'm Charity. How did you guys find out about the church? Through my Angel. Angel. Let's give it up for Angel. Look at that. Spreading the gospel. Well, we're glad you're here tonight. But see, I think once again, look at that. That's so cool. This young lady over here that I was talking to earlier, Ryan invited you to church, right? Man, you see how this stuff works? Do you realize everything you do, Chris Lopez, matters? Paul says, I walk with purpose. I walk with purpose. Everything we do, David, everything you do, when you're working at that trailer park and you think nobody's seeing you, God sees it all. Amen? All right, listen to this, John 6, 58, 56 through 58. Uh-oh, there's the bishop. Read your list. All right, listen to these verses. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. Manna's temporary. Jesus Christ is eternal. Remember when Jesus was being tested in the desert, going back to that? He gets tempted by bread. What was Jesus' response? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So they were used to manna. 
any Jew back then would have known when Jesus was saying these words, what he was talking about. They knew when the Messiah was going to come, he was actually bred from heaven. Manna means nourishment. When you receive a word, you ever notice how all of a sudden you're like, I feel full. How many of you in here has ever fasted? How can you fast food but feel full? But Jesus fasted for 40 days and then said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We live in a culture now that wants to capture, capture our ear and wants us to listen to every word that comes out of the TV, out of the phone, even out of our own mouths. But you know how many times you've got to go back to God? Over and over and over and over. I say to Susan all the time, Jesus Christ has no addendums in the Bible. He never goes, man, COVID comes along. I don't know. I may not be the Christ anymore. If there's a struggle financially, I may not be the Christ anymore. That's nonsense. He is king over everything. Now listen to this. He had just said these things to him, but here's their response. You got to listen to these verses. Now we know when the Bible was originally written, there was no chapter and verses, but this was added. John 6, 6, 6. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Mm. Let me say that again. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him again. The thing that's going to come up in your life, you're going to have many times where either in yourself or the enemy is going to make you go, don't believe in that Jesus stuff. Turn around. Do you realize if Bob and Susan had quit, I wouldn't know my wife if they had quit. Isn't that crazy? You ever think about sometimes the decisions people make, and the enemy always will try to speak to you and go, just desert him. Come on, man. He's asking for too much. Well, yeah, he is. He's asking for your life because he gave his life. How many of you want, how many of you think your life looks better after Christ than it did before Christ? So then he turns to the other 12 disciples, John 6, 67 through 69. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you're the Holy One of God. Hmm. You know he's the Holy One of God? I mean, you know, sometimes I almost feel like Reggie's always using this term. It's like cheating in Christianity because it's so good. But I always wonder why I turn my back on him so many times. When I'll be going along and the Lord is working in my life, and then I'm just going, it's so good. But for some reason, I want to turn back and go back to Nazareth. I want to get trapped. But God doesn't want us there. So I want you to listen to this. Throughout your Christian journey, you'll be confronted by Jesus Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit. And he's asking you, are you a deserter or a disciple? How many people you think deserted Christ during COVID? Because all of a sudden, there was another sea that was put over the top of Christ. But real Christians, 
Mm-mm. We don't put anything over the top of Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to do. Before I read the scriptures, I want to show you a video where Nathaniel has this encounter with Jesus. Then I'll read through some scriptures and then finish, and then we'll take some questions. So can you play that? Thanks. You're a good man. You know who stands beside you there? This is my friend, Nathaniel. Yes, the truth teller. I'm sorry? Man is often deceitful. And Israel began with Jacob, a bit of a deceiver, yes? Yes. But one of the great things about you is you are a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What did you say about me? What is this? How do you know me? I have known you long before Philip called you to come and see. Don't look at him, look at me. When you were in your lowest moment, and you were alone, I did not turn my face from you. I saw you under the fig tree. <laughs> I knew it. Well, that didn't take long. <laughs> he doesn't mess around. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? <laughs> you are going to see many greater things than that. Like Jacob, you are going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's me, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got that. Good. I know you like to be clear. (laughs) See, what I think is great about it is Philip introduces Nathaniel to Jesus. Now, whether Jesus physically sent him under the tree or some people think that he's seen him in the spirit. It really doesn't matter. What Jesus was saying to him is, I see you. How many of you know God was pursuing you long before you turned around and said okay? Long before. So I want to go through these verses again. They just put in that scene. As they approached, Jesus said, now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. He said, how do you know about me? Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you're the son of God. Now, before I finish, I just heard this earlier today in the sermon. I thought it was kind of cool. How many of you heard of an epiphany? Okay. It's a moment when you suddenly feel that you understand or suddenly become conscious of something that's very important to you. Let me read that again. A moment when you suddenly feel that you understand suddenly become conscious of something that's very important to you. See, when you have a relationship with Christ, 
And all of a sudden, you have that rhema words. You have that, like Nathaniel, that revelation. You go, oh, my goodness, he's, he's the Christ. He's the Christ. I still do that. I've been saved for 38 years. I tell people all the time, I know less now than I did then because everything that I know has come from him. And as I keep going, you know, sometimes I thought I had scriptures right before. And then the Holy Spirit goes, no, 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 no. You thought it meant this 10 years ago, but now I'm going to show you what it really means. And what I love about it, it never keeps me from being a servant. That's the great thing about following Christ. Do I know more knowledge and everything? Yes. I know more about the Bible now than I did before. But if I don't rely on the Holy Spirit, I'm just a Pharisee. Information without revelation is just a mess. A lot of people have information about God, but they don't have the revelation about who Jesus Christ is. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I'd seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I'll tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is, stair- is the stairway between heaven and earth. A Jewish person would have realized when Jesus said Son of Man, if you go back when you're reading your Bible, I didn't even realize this until I was studying, Jesus referred to him as Son of Man more than any other title because this was a message to a Jewish person. It meant he was the Savior and the King of Israel. Now, they'd been waiting for a Messiah. They'd been waiting for manna from heaven, as I was talking about earlier. But when he was standing right in front of them, they didn't recognize him. He was even giving them clues when he was saying, son of man. You know, sometimes I read the Bible and I go, how's that possible? But we do it every day. Every day, even as Christians, we go, but are you really? Are you really the Christ? Do I really have to put you in my marriage? Do I have to put you in my thoughts? Do I have to put you in my job? Well, if he's your Christ, he should be king. Now listen to this about Nathaniel. Church tradition says Nathaniel carried a translation of Matthew's gospel to northern India. Legend claims while he was in Albania, he was crucified upside down. They're crazy. Now, we know you've heard stories about the other disciples. Son of Bob's went through the whole list before. Filleted alive. Uh, one was drugged behind on cobblestone and beheaded. Peter felt like he wasn't worthy, so he said he wanted to be crucified upside down. Do you ever even think about this? Peter denies Jesus, and 50 days later, preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people get saved. Do you think that was Peter or the Holy Spirit? See, that's what's great about it. We do study. We do our thing. We have a relationship with Christ. But, man, if I get up and talk tonight and the Holy Spirit ain't in it, it ain't going to have any power in it. It has to be the Holy Spirit. So I want to end with this, and then we'll take some questions. So upon meeting Jesus for the first time, Nathaniel had to get over his initial skepticism that could anything good come out of Nazareth. Because at the end of the day, it's Vincent, right? Vincent. Victor. Man. Victor. Man. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll be 59 in two weeks. Sorry. I can't use that as an excuse, though. 
All right. Victor, do you know how Christ sees you? Do you walk around with that confidence or that confidence and knowing how he sees you? I, I do. Again, such a good idea. I, I walk Just a just a just a little bit over a year ago, I was in the hospital on my deathbed, end of life Friday. And the doctors telling me, "Look, there's nothing that we can do for you." And I was like, "What?" I was like, "I got mad at him. I was like, who are you? You know, I'm gonna trust God with my life, and you're gonna sit. I was on this medication that uh, was making me bleed internally, and they didn't want to take me off of it because they said I would have a heart attack. And I was like. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. You're going to take me off that medication. I'm going to trust God with my life. Hey Amen. Let's give it up for Victor. And Victor, didn't I, didn't I di- yeah, and didn't I just see Victor where you posted that you were at Rooted Church this weekend and you've been clean for how long? Two years clean. Man. Oh, by the way, if any of you don't know, this is my beautiful wife, Suzanne, over here. That woman's been blessed for 22 years being married to me. I can tell you that right now. Lord, forgive her. For, no, I'm just kidding. Garrett and Sheila, how long have you guys been married? Uh-oh. We got a pr- Pastor Bob intervention? No, <laughs> go ahead. Eight years. Eight years. Let's give it up for them. Hey, you know, Ray and... Cheryl, how many years are you guys? Uh, two, three now? Three and a half years. Let's give it up for those guys. But they've known each other for like 40 to 45 years. Like teenage sweethearts or like young adult sweethearts and then come together like 40 years later. Bob and Susan, August the 4th, they're going to be married 50 years. That's pretty awesome, huh? So you guys ready to give us some questions? I want to have Bob and Susan come up too, and we'll we'll take some questions from you guys. So, Reggie, don't be shy. Any question? Anything Any, you want? Anything ask? you want to say about what he's talking about? Questions? Come on, Reg. I'm gonna throw something at you. See if we stir you up. Okay. Are you in? Do I? Hang on. sign of the devil is it a coincidence that that's also the passage that talks about the disciples leaving him and coming back on him well bob i'll let you or is that just a coincidence that's the one where they said that when he had said eat my flesh and drink my blood that then many of them chose to walk away and desert him him, yeah Yeah. and that happens just to be like the sign of the devil to trick 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 you know it's like is that is that a coincidence or is that just i don't know well, is it a coincidence or, you know, what, what's the numerical? It's John 6, 66, 666. Yeah. And well, talking about the disciples turning his back on Yeah, him. no, I think you're right. Here's, we were talking He's about talking this. He's talking about numerology. Yeah. So we were talking about this back in the, Bible, uh, back in the sound booth. Now, just as I'd said earlier, there weren't uh, chapters and verses, but we do have that now. So honestly, if I was to read, because I heard this in a sermon a couple years ago, and the guy mentioned 666. Well, six is the number of man. And any time I, I look at that and I go, man, how weird. When you put in man's doctrine or when the enemy starts to deceive you, you will start to desert, to desert 
Christ. So I agree with you. If it speaks to you, to me, it's a confirmation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, think of this too. The term 666 is a falsehood for the Holy Trinity. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 666 is man, man, man. Man replaces the Trinity. That's good. There's lots of analogies. That's a good question. Yeah. Okay, now, I want to throw one at him, okay? We're talking about Nazareth. Are you in Nazareth, or is Nazareth in you? Mm. In other words, did you leave Nazareth and take Nazareth with you? Are you living in the past? That's what Jesus did. He, he walked away from what? He didn't deny his humanness. He walked away from his humanness into his divine responsibility. And we all have to do that. We've got to walk away from the past and look to the future. You know, that's that's what we do. That's yeah. That's a. I think that's great that he just brought it up. And most of you will be able to relate to this. Remember when the Israelites left Egypt? There come a certain point where that's they're it. like, "Why did you bring us out here?" They wanted to go back to Egypt. So it's kind of the same metaphor. Do you still have Egypt in you, or are you living outside of that now? And I right. think a lot of times we get trapped in an old way of thinking. You ever notice when you feel like God's put you at a standpoint, uh, a standstill? It's easy to revert back to old ways, and you go, this God thing ain't working. But really what it is, he wanted them, you know, eventually they walked through the Red Sea, which was a picture of baptism and everything. He wanted them to know that once you've been baptized, once you've walked with me, you can trust me to get to your promised land. But when you get to your promised land, there's going to be some giants in the land, and you're going to have to fight. I can tell you straight up as a Christian, you're going to have to fight. But guess what? You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You know, and one other thing I was going to say, and then we can take another question, is I hear people always say God is in the universe. No, no, no. The universe is inside of Jesus Christ. He contains everything. He is everything. I, I heard this uh, book title, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The question is, do you believe that? And I think that's where we have to get to in our life. We have choices to make. Me and Susan were talking about this over the last couple of days, and I think that's the thing is when you choose to yield to the Holy Spirit, you're going to make decisions that's going to honor your king. But when you walk out of something, you have to leave something behind. Mm. Let, me, let me read the second yeah. comment. Yes, you can leave one, but the other one has to leave you. Okay? So in other words, when you walk out of the situation, you walk out of Nazareth, you have to be willing to leave behind the stuff that was in Nazareth that's going to keep you from your future. How many Christians get stuck in where they're at and they don't look for hope in the future? They don't look into the future and say, well, what does the future look like? You don't know. You're not there. That's the walk of faith. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus stepped out of his human side and into his spiritual side. Okay. Uh-oh, here it comes. Not so much a question, but a question. I just want you guys' opinion on this. So, like Pastor Bob just said about uh, leaving out of Nazareth. So, for purpose sake, I want to talk about Egypt and the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And all throughout Exodus, God continued 
like you said, they wanted to go back because of, I guess, familiar, just being familiar, that being a familiar and, and they couldn't control it. Yeah, and, and exactly, and they had they had became comfortable with that with that slavery, and it was their slavery, so they felt they were comfortable with it. But God, all through Egypt, in the Book of Exodus, He kept saying, "Remember, I'm the God who brought you out of the, you know." And so we're we're going through the Book of Exodus right now, and I, it's just it's just baffling to me how, you know. They, they they were firsthand witnesses, the Israelites, to the all the different plagues, all the different miraculous, crazy things that God did, the Red Sea and all that, but yet and still they got there and it's like they forgot about those things. And so basically what I'm saying is like would focusing on God and remembering him bringing you out, is that the way to forget about your Nazareth or your Egypt? Well, I don't think you ever forget about your I mean, not forget, not forget, yeah. but, you know, to conquer it, yeah, mm-hmm. to conquer it to where you don't want to go back. Well, it's no longer, again, I say it's no longer in you. It's no longer in you because whatever's in you is what's controlling you. So you, he walks out of Nazareth, and literally when he walks out of Nazareth, he walks away from his mother. You know, he walks away from his family. And, uh, you know, so you've got to leave something behind mm. to move to the future. You know, it's, it's a powerful message. You take this message, you can take it any place in Scripture. You go from Genesis to Maps, and there's a principle. If you plug this into your brain, every time you read the Scripture, you remember that's a principle in the Bible. It's a constant thing out of, into your life is an out-of journey into something. You're always moving forward. If you're ever not moving forward, you can't, you're in trouble. That's where the trouble starts. Yeah, I think it's really good. And just uh, maybe this will help answer this, Reggie. So I think along the way, as we walk with the Lord, there's things that happen in our life that's confirmations for us. And it's almost like you can build an altar, which is good because you can go, well, he did it then. He can do it now. So I'm just going to tell you this real quick. Some of you may not know this. Suzanne was married before, and her husband passed away about five to six months after they got married. I didn't know Suzanne then. He passed away in 1997. I met Suzanne in 99. We married in 2001. So I'll just tell you these things real quick because I think this is how you can remember things. So we have two daughters. They're now 15. One's 12. One day, me and Suzanne sat down years after we, uh, a few years after we had our kids, and we started just thinking, of, we realized dates God had redeemed. So Suzanne and her husband were married on August 31st, 1996. Cheyenne, my youngest daughter, was born on August 31st, 2010. Suzanne's husband passed away on February the 8th, 1997. I asked her to marry me on February the 8th, 2001. Coming back from the prison ministry, by the way. I called her over the phone and asked her to marry me. So it wasn't the most romantic thing. And I even teased her for a year. I go, am I going from one prison to another prison? No, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> so romantic. So, so that was two dates. Suzanne's husband's birthday, Chris, was December the 28th. Our oldest daughter, Sierra's original due date, 
is December 28th. She ended up being born on uh, January the 1st, 2008. Chris went into the hospital on January the 1st and never come back out again. So we looked at these dates and we go, dark days, no doubt about it, but didn't realize. God, you know how it says in Romans 8, 28, it doesn't say all things are good. It says all things work together for good. So I think you can look back in your life, and when you have those little altars along the way, Reggie, that are confirmations of how God's working, and you get to those standstills, you just keep going, and God will get you through that. Does that make sense? You want to come up here? Come here, Sam. personal testimony, I came to Hemet in 1998 to dry out. I came from the program in 1995. I ran the food program and more than 60 minutes from the guys would come and mate. It was very traumatic. When I came to Hemet, I found myself <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. I didn't know you people. I didn't know where I was at. My first job was at the Red Barn Valley Electric. I have seven sisters, and I'm the baby of eight, no brothers. So the first girl I met, I married her after 16 months. Um, we've still married 22 years. I've been faithful to her. The part about Nazareth is where I lashed out at her verbally. I broke her phone. Uh, and I told her to leave. And the words that I used, I'm still paying for them because they were more emotional than mental. Um, so I see that an arrow or my conduct isn't the same conduct that I was using when I was born and raised in East L.A. out there on the streets and out there, drugs, alcohol, and institutions. I've been faithfully married. I've been working. I pay my taxes. I do all the right things. But having seven sisters, I walk right up to a crowd of girls and I'm in it. You know, I talk to girls. That's what I do. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I've been to prison and I just have a bunch of sisters, you know. I have three nieces older than me. So after 22 years of marriage, I'm just wondering how do I prepare for the future? How do I go forward from here? What do I do from here? Do I just stand here and meditate, stay here and meditate, and see what God has for me? Because that seems to be where God has me. I'm, I'm questioning <laughs> where to go from here. Well, I think you're doing the right thing right now. You're purging. You're getting it out. You're facing it. Once you face it, you look at Nazareth and you go, okay, that's what happened in Nazareth. I'm not in Nazareth anymore. And neither is she. And whatever happens in the future is what you do with the future. If you make getting everything fixed between you and her your future, you'll miss getting everything fixed between you and him. And if you get everything fixed between you and him, it's up to him to get her 
to decide what she's going to do. Does that make sense? It, 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 it kind of makes sense to me, but there's a little question still because sure. I was brought up in a Baptist church. I've known about God all my life, and I heard marriage is eternal covenant. Adam and Eve, the covenant of marriage, right? So I thought marriage was to be forever, and I know coming to a point where you make silly mistakes <laughs> and has to be some forgiveness somewhere. And I have a past. He has a past. But I don't hold. You see, that's where that's where I find a problem at because I don't expect her to stay in torment if I'm tormenting her. And so, what's the question? What? How to decipher from marriage as an eternal covenant, a forever covenant, to breaking, severing the ties of marriage and going. You don't have to break it in your heart. You don't break it. If you if you're married and you're married in your heart, do you still feel married? I love my wife a lot, and I do. Do feel you still married. feel yes. married? Yes. You are married. That's a fact. In the eyes of God, as well as in the eyes of man, whether you go through a divorce or a separation, whatever the case is, it's what you do with your own heart. And Tom is right here, right now. This is exactly what Steve was talking about. That's what Steve was pointing out. You walk away from. And you walk, and like that comment I made, is Nazareth in you, or are you in Nazareth? And part of you is still in Nazareth. Got to move forward. And if marriage is, is going to be between you and her, only he can do that. I understand what you said perfectly well. You see, but I, there's a question. There is a question. Okay. There is a question. When I was married, when I got married, boy, God was doing a new thing in my life. Okay. A new thing in my life. Well, what's the question? The question is, since I've been separated from my wife, uh -huh. now it seems like Nazareth seems to be lingering out there. And it's almost like an arrow flying from Nazareth from the hiding spot to try to grab me. So but what's the I'm question? I'm keeping my vision going forward. In the okay, I understand that. But what's the question? I was responding to what you just said. Okay, but I'm, I'm, you said you had a question, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, maybe I'm missing it. Am I missing it? Somebody help. Okay, I, I say this, just my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. I wrote down the words here. I think you're stuck, yeah. and it's Steve's sermon. I think you're stuck in Nazareth because the truth is we're human. People do bad things, and right. covenants get broken. I'm just being honest with okay, you. Okay, all right. So you still have a covenant with the state of California, but in her heart, she's probably broken the covenant. She's probably gone. But I would say to you, I would advise you, don't stay stuck. Uh, honestly, you got to move on. I and understand. so if she comes back, it's like, God, I love uh -huh. my wife. I still want to be married. I pray uh -huh. for her. But Thomas, if you stay here, you'll do this again next year, and you'll be here. I got you. God doesn't want you just to stay here. He wants you out of Nazareth. I understand. Okay. That's perfectly said. Okay. Good. What you Good. just said said my spirit. Thank you. Okay. Uh, hold on for a second. Put your hands up. Can we pray for you? Absolutely. Lord, we pray for Thomas that you touch his heart and his spirit and let him know that you are deeply and intimately concerned. And you also have hope for him. And, Father, the spirit of discouragement, everything that would come against Thomas, in Jesus' name, you're not welcome. I'm going to take a word of you in Jesus' name. 
take your thoughts and your imaginations. Leave Thomas. Holy Spirit, I pray that you drop it, a gift of faith on him. Let him see and feel your presence where your love for him is so strong that he won't have to struggle for any other love. And I thank you for doing this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You're a good man, Thomas. Been through a lot in life. Going through some more. Okay, anybody else? Yeah, me. Uh-oh. Okay, so I would just say this. I just wanted to say something before Thomas got up there. You know, I think when you're moving your title out at Nazareth, when you're, move, when you're moving out of one thing into another, I think it's really important how we self-identify, and it's really easy to stay in the old, like, I'm a Nazarene, but actually God's moving you out somewhere else. And we used to have a lady here, Joan Cavanaugh, uh, 45 years ago, and she was the first one I heard say, like, you are today who you decide to be. And she had this amazing story of she'd gone to the mailbox once, and the, the mailman was getting out the mail. And so she's a little late, and she didn't want to miss it with her letter, so she's running down the walkway like, wait, wait, mailman, wait for me, wait for me. And so she gets up there. She's a real, she was a real character. She hears him muttering, stupid lady. I can't believe this crazy lady. And so she's looking around for the crazy lady and looking around for the stupid lady because she didn't identify with that. She was not crazy, and she was not stupid. And so I think a lot of times when we want to move on, what people do label you as, you have to go, like, that is not me. And, you know, we're either saints or sinners. And, and I love that because we're either an old sinner saved by grace or I'm a brand-new saint living in victory. I'm not a sinner. I'm not. And so I know I was studying John G. Lake last week, and he was an amazing guy. And one of his favorite songs, if you remember the song At the Cross, At the Cross, At the Cross, well, there's a verse in there about such a worm as I. And this, this author pointed out he hated that song. He hated it. Because it's like, I am not a worm. I mean, this guy got so many people healed. He was a missionary to Africa, had amazing miracles in his life. I mean, if he's not going to be a worm, I'm not going to be a worm. I'm not going to be a crazy lady. I'm going to be not an old sinner. I'm going to be a saint. And I want to identify with that. So when I get up in the morning, honestly, this is what I do. God, in Jesus' name, I want to put prophecy out today. I want you to give me divine encounters. Like when my feet hit that floor, like devil, you better watch out because I'm looking for people. And, you know, I got back from City Hope. I was there Monday, and I always take a book to give away, and I always, I'm always on the prowl. It's kind of fun. And right away, I knew who to give it to. Give it to it was one of the staff this time. She leans over. She's almost in tears. She's hugging me, and thank you for praying for my family, and on, on, on. Talked to another old lady. I hand out cards. I mean, our dwelling place cards are, like, all over creation. But it's like people are so hungry for healthy people that go, I have the answer. I know what the answer is, and I'm going to share it with you. And then open your mouth and share it. That's being a saint, walking out of Nazareth. Okay. Questions? Anybody else? Amen. Can you speak to the the fact that Jesus wasn't able to do things in his hometown, and was that because of the unbelief and their familiar, their how familiar they were with him, and not believing that he was who he said he was? So them trying to put the Nazareth back on him. Yeah, absolutely. And this is just my opinion, so I can't prove this uh, doctrinally, but. I think there were two problems. 
Number one was the people couldn't get past the fact that they watched a former snotty-nosed little boy because he was human. He grew up as a little boy. He, they watched him, you know, mess his pants as a little boy, have a runny nose. Well, maybe he didn't have a runny nose, but you get the point. And so they're trying to factor in. We watched him grow up. We know Mary. We know Joseph. This is crazy. And remember that as he grows up, he's a carpenter. His father was a carpenter. Joseph was a carpenter. We don't know how long Joseph lived. But a carpenter was not hammer and nails. They did work with wood, but they were masons. They laid bricks. Uh, they, they did all any kind of construction. So they see a blue-collar worker grow up in their town. And in the whole process, they're trying to figure out so the question to me, the answer to me would be, the reason they can't figure out who he is is they have too much human Jesus in him. And until they see the kingdom Jesus in him, and that's when people flip. And they're still dealing with Mary and Joseph, who had an illegitimate son. So I don't know that that answers your question, but it certainly can explain why they, they struggle. You know, so. Did that kind of make sense? I mean, it was really I good. I mean, fully God, fully man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, that's the thing. If you see him that way. But, you know, I was thinking of there's a scripture in Philippians that says, Jesus made himself of no reputation, but lowly as a servant. I think, unfortunately, with them seeing him that way, they seen him as they had pretty much like a caste system. So they seen him beneath them. Anytime in your life, in your relationship with Christ, you always have to see him above you. But the only way you ever get like that is when you become a servant. And I think that's the hard thing a lot of times is I read the Bible and go, I realize why they question it. Because at the end of the day, if you're questioning who Christ is, you're actually questioning your own relationship with Christ. Now, he has no problems with our doubts or our questions, and we do start out as a baby spiritually, and then we grow. I always say we go from baby to adolescent to teenager to adult, and even when you're an adult, Gay and Larry probably know a few more things than I do because they're a little bit more adult, adult than I am. You know what I mean? So I think it's the same thing spiritually speaking, but if he's not over the top of your life, you're always going to see him beneath you. And that's when it's hard for God to start moving in miracles in your life and things like Susan mentioned a couple weeks ago when she taught, when she had the surgery for the cancer, she immediately started speaking faith over that. Now, I can tell you how bad it was the night she had cancer because Suzanne and Bob was there and their other daughter, Sharon, and I remember getting calls and she's like, they don't think she's even going to make it through the night. But she gets up the next day and she's like, nope. I'm going to speak faith. And I think that's, she put Christ over a circumstance. And many of you have done that in different ways in your life. So, You know, and I think, if I can, we go back to the humanness of Jesus because it helps us try to maybe answer that question about why the people in Nazareth couldn't handle him. Because I think, you know, we and, and I'm all for every image that we have on video about what Jesus looked like. 
you know, that he had a certain look and he had a certain physique. Mm, why couldn't he have been chubby? You know, not that he was, but he didn't say he was. And why do we automatically think that he was handsome? When Isaiah describes him, there is, he has no form. In other words, there's no specific Jewish kind of really cool guy image. Okay? He has no form or comeliness. There's nothing about him. Listen to Isaiah 53's description. There's nothing about him that people looked at him and said, weird. And probably one of the most convincing things about Isaiah's description of him in 53 is remember he's in Nazareth and he's in a crowd of people and they're going to throw him off a cliff. Mm. And he just walks away. And everybody's going, where'd he go? It's like, he didn't go. He didn't supernaturally just, he just walked through the crowd. He was a normal, average, everyday human being. He wasn't superhuman or he would have violated his humanness to be God in the flesh. Mm. Something to think about. Yell it out, Thomas. Jesus was fully man, and he was God in the in the flesh. So the times when he humbled himself down as lowly as he could, was it not so that the spirit would increase? Because the Bible tells us to decrease in our flesh so that the spirit will increase. Well, you know, I, I think obviously that would be the case. But you have to have, well, that brings you to a point where you ask the question, was Jesus ever tempted? Was he ever tempted with lust? Was he ever tempted with anger? Did he ever want to say to these younger brothers, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. You know, <laughs> you keep harassing me. You know, he never sinned. He didn't sin. And we know that. He had emotions. He had feelings. If he didn't have emotions and he didn't have feelings, he didn't live our life for us. He had to deal with every single thing you and I deal with in life and do it successfully. But he dealt with it. And people go, well, okay, he dealt with it once, so that's it. No, he dealt with life. All of life. That's pretty amazing. That's stunning to me. See, I was just thinking what Bob said. It goes along with your question. When Pontius Pilate had Jesus in front of him, Pontius Pilate says, do you not know that I have the power to take your life? And Jesus says, you would have no power over me unless yep. it come from above. Yep. See, when your relationship, Jesus was showing us a picture. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. He was showing us a picture of how we're supposed to live our life. And I think a lot of times for me, when I read things like, or even when he was in the garden, and he said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me, but not my will be done, which means he had free will, right. but your will be done. Right. And I think that's the thing is that when you see that, so I see a Savior that I can relate to because he's walked this life. And I think when you realize that, you don't lean on your own. You know what's what say in Proverbs? Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God, and he'll direct your paths. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're going, mm -hmm. we're, we're going to another place now. 
Yeah, why don't we, because here's something I want to do. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. You remember when they, there was one time where they couldn't, uh, his disciples couldn't, go ahead, Bob, you know it. So they couldn't cast out a demon. So Jesus comes along and he's like, do you guys not have any faith? And they said, what didn't we do right? And he said, some only come out through fasting and prayer. Because when you fast, it should get your focus on God. And when you do that, you're more um, attuned to the Holy Spirit. So I think, does that answer your question? Yeah. So I wanted to do this because I know we're ending soon. These two ladies in the back, can you guys come up here? I was going to have Bob and Susan pray for you guys. Is that okay? I know you have four kids with you, and you're going to have to get them soon. So Susan, I don't even know what your needs are, but I'll let you tell them, and then we'll let them pray over you. We're going to be praying over you. Do you have a specific need? <laughs> yes. <laughs> How about you? We didn't know he was going to do this. Okay, so, so listen, put your hands out. How many of you believe God knows what they need? Okay. You tell the Lord what you need, and then I'll pray first, you pray second, and let's ask the Lord to give you a word about what you're what they need. Do you, do you need something to happen in a, in a certain number of days? Is there a time limit on what you need? No. Is there a time limit? On, okay, that's all I need to know. All right. Is it, is it something I can do through my time? Do you mind? Is it something you can share? Don't, don't do it. Don't, don't put yourself in the spot. Okay. okay. So what are you believing the Lord for? Believing the Lord for... Um, my children, my older children, um, to come back to him. Okay. Here, here's what I'd like to do. What's yours? Uh, growth. <laughs> growth? In okay. God, yeah. Growth. Clarify. Yes. Okay. Would you step over here? Okay, now, we're going to use you. You're laughing, Reggie. You're, we're going to use you guys, okay? You need what? Family. Family? Yeah. And you need growth, spiritual growth. Everybody get behind one of these. Come on. Let's do this. Let's get involved. Okay. Okay, now, I know you guys feel like you're on the spot, but you're in a good crowd of people. They're healthy. They're loving. And we're going to believe for a miracle. Okay, you go first. Okay. I'll pray. Okay, Teresa. Father, in Jesus' name, we just pray for Teresa. And, Lord, we don't know her family, but, Lord, you do. And I pray for every single person in her bloodline that is not saved, that does not know you. Father, we pray that you will bring people to minister. That's how you use it. And, Father, yeah. let, let people yes. get put the word out. I pray redemption on her family. Let the blood of Jesus Amen. will just stream right on through it. I pray, thank you for salvation. I thank you, Lord God, that all her prayers that she's accumulated, the night she's worried about it, and you have had worry, worrisome nights. You've thought, you've pondered. You've pl prayed, you've pleaded, but you know what? God's going to answer those prayers. And, Father, we just pray that when people would come in, it's so hard for relatives to minister to relatives. So, Lord, we, we circumvent that. We pray some good friends in that someone else is going to minister to these people. But, Lord, we pray salvation on her family in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. This is one of our, okay. Yeah. This is one of our elders. Could you put your hand right there? Okay. Okay. Father, I thank you. My sister has asked for growth, spiritual growth. And, Father, we pray that you'd drop a seed of faith 
Faith comes by hearing and by the hearing of the scripture. And I, I'm not prophesying. I mean, the spirit of the Lord says to you, as you read my word, I will speak to your heart and from your heart into your spirit, says the Lord. And I'm going to strengthen you. You've asked me to touch. Matter of fact, you asked the Lord for something very specific. You were very direct. You told him exactly what you wanted, didn't you? Didn't you, man? You told him exactly, Lord, I pray that you drop that gift on her. It's nobody else's business what you ask. But the Lord says, I'm going to do that. And the Lord says, you keep reminding me. You keep telling me I'm going to do this thing. And finally, the Lord says, when I do this thing for you, I'm going to do it openly. Everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to know it. And everybody's going to know it's from me. And you'll give me the glory for it. And you'll know I bless this in your life in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want that. I want that. Hey, you guys. Thanks for coming. We love you. We appreciate you. Good word, Steve. All right, everybody, out of Nazareth. Catch me when I fall by you, and you hear me when I cry, crying, and you fix me when I'm broke by you, and that's all I need to know. So the storm is gonna break by you, and the sun is gonna start shining, and everything is gonna go right, that's all I need to Nothing's ever going wrong.